Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Our scripture reading this morning is from the Old Testament book of Exodus, chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. If you would like to follow along in your pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 44. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians. And I bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land and a land flowing with milk and honey to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So I come. I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you, that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask, What is his name? What am I to say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, 
the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my title for all generations. Welcome to episode number two. We're taking a 10-week journey through the book of Exodus, this wonderful story of God delivering the Hebrew people from their captivity. But across this large narrative of deliverance, there are these wonderful little episodes, snippets of God's saving work all around. So, what we're going to be doing for these 10 weeks, starting last week, is I'm going to go across the narrative kind of quickly, and then we're just going to stop and land in one of these stories and walk around in that story for a little while, and then we'll just kind of speed up to the next story until we make our way all the way through the book. As you've already seen, Moses and the burning bush is our story today, but first let me get us caught up. Last week we were in chapter 1. This week we're just now in the beginning of chapter 3. So in basically one and a half chapters, Moses goes from being three months old to grown and married. We missed the prom pictures completely. As you will recall, he is a person of dual citizenship. He was born a Hebrew, raised in the royal house of the Egyptian king. And Exodus jumps, as I said, from last week's story when he's three months old, to a grown Moses, and he's now out and about, kind of walking around the kingdom, checking on the work being done. He's making his rounds in the second chapter, and he runs across an Egyptian who is pummeling this uh, Hebrew slave who's working for him, just beating the tar out of him. Well, the, the Hebrew part of Moses just got a little bit riled up about that. He takes matters into his own hands, confronts, ends up killing the Egyptian. Looks around, buries him in the sand, goes on to something else. The next day he's making his rounds, and this time he sees two fellow Hebrews fighting with each other. He breaks that up, confronts them. And one of the two Hebrews who's in the fight, who is apparently not cooled down yet, still got his fist clenched, says, what are you going to do? Kill me like you killed that Egyptian guy yesterday? Oops. Word is out that Moses has killed a man and the king ain't real happy about it. He puts a bounty on Moses' head And now Moses, the fugitive, is on the lamb. He flees around the water to Midian, which which is in western Saudi Arabia. I suppose you knew that. When he's in exile, he finds a well there in Midian, nice place to camp, source of water. He decides that's the good place to recover. He settles in near this well. And one morning, seven women come with their father's flock to this well to get nourishment for the flock. 
They are the seven daughters of Midian's priest, Ruel, who is also called Jethro. And while they are there getting water for their dad's flock, a group of shepherds, ill-tempered apparently, come to this same well and they hassle these women. But Moses gets up and defends the women, scatters the threat, then helps the women water the flock. He is so gentlemanly in this scene you can hardly stand it. And when Daddy Jethro hears about this gallant gesture from this stranger, he sends for Moses to be a guest in his house. And Moses stays long enough that he ends up marrying one of the seven daughters, Zipporah. Well, now he's settled into a new life. Now he's a sheep herder. He is not a favored child of the royal household. He's got a job and a wife and a father-in-law who signs his paychecks. He is a regular guy. He packs a lunch, kisses Zipporah on the forehead, puts in his eight hours, comes home exhausted, complains there's nothing good on TV, Maybe the last part's not true, but you get it. He's just in a regular rhythm. In the meantime, while workaday Moses is punching the clock, things in Egypt are getting worse than ever. There's a new king. Slavery intenses. They cry to God for deliverance. And in the last verse of chapter 2, right before we begin our story for today... God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God looked upon the Israelites, and God took notice of them. So now today's story. The camera moves back from Egypt and finds Moses. He's there tending the flock, picking his teeth. It's another day, another dollar. But this day is going to be different than any other ever. Moses has taken the flock beyond the wilderness to Mount Horeb. There on this ordinary day of sheep tending, nothing going on, and all of a sudden, a bush burst into flame, wild and orange-red and hot and fierce. And Moses sees an angel in the smacking flames, and he's so captivated he cannot move. He begins to realize that this bush that he's just mesmerized by that's burning isn't burning up. The flames are all over the bush, but nothing is being consumed. And so he moves closer to investigate. And when he moves closer... God, for the first time in the Exodus story, enters the scene and speaks from within the flames. Moses, Moses, here I am. Come no closer. Remove your sandals. You are on holy ground. I am the God of your ancestors. And Moses was afraid to look any longer because he is in the crushing, awesome holiness of God's presence and he can hardly breathe, much less continue to look. I have observed how miserable my people are. 
I've heard them. I know they are suffering. It's time for me to deliver them to a new land flowing with milk and honey. So far, so good. But then God says, so come on. I'll send you to the king to get my people, the Israelites. And don't worry, I'll be with you. But who am I to go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Most of our attention in this story is drawn to the spectacle of this bush of fire and hosting the voice of God and not burning up. And it is a marvelous sight. But for me, it is not the most remarkable part of this story. As the poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning has said, the earth is crammed with heaven each common bush aflame with God. Yet only he who takes off his shoes, only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck back blackberries. Maybe that's what we do. Or what else? Run the kids to band practice, I suppose. God is speaking far more often than we are listening. Holy calls to purpose are happening to sheep herders and bank tellers and insurance executives all the time. Only those who slow down to listen for it are able to hear it, and when they do, they take off their shoes. I wish I could tell you the stories that I get to hear in my office without breaking confidences. But the number of stories that I've heard that begin with, you're not going to believe this. But I've walked the halls of church long enough and heard enough of the holy stories that I know that when someone I know and trust and love comes to my office and says, you're probably going to think I'm crazy, but 10 years ago, I usually take my shoes off. I'm not that shocked anymore by burning bushes. I'm also not that shocked by Moses' original response. Who am I to go to Pharaoh, bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Because anytime we're called to some higher purpose, called to something beyond our comfort, the first response for any of us is, not me. Who in the world am I to do that? No, the biggest surprise to me in this story is that Moses said yes. Eventually he said yes. I heard somebody say once that on any given Saturday night, there's somebody who jots a million dollar idea on the back of a bar napkin and explains it to his friend. And then on Monday morning he goes back to work. 
The surprise in this story is that Moses heard this call and took a faithful step. As Browning said, every common bush is aflame with God, <laughs> and yet we just keep picking blackberries. I wonder if one of the hints in this week's story is in that first verse where it says that Moses led his flock beyond the wilderness. Maybe that's one of the keys to being aware of the bushes that are aflame with God's presence. Maybe we need to move beyond the ordinary, beyond the wilderness, beyond the ordinary habits and routines. Move beyond the wilderness by reading more challenging books or making friends with somebody of another religion or starting a new pattern of Sunday school or Wednesday night church or volunteering with some underserved part of the population. Who knows? There might be more encounters with the holy if we move beyond the wilderness to new lands where we're challenged by new wonders of God. But burning bush or not, God is calling. God is alive and active and bothersome. You have a purpose. In the divine design, we have been made with our own set of affections and affinities that make us come alive our own talents and aptitudes that were placed within us by a creative God. Have you ever considered that no generation in history ever just had poets uh, and, and, and no architects? Or, or just, just had uh, folks who drew and painted and nobody who built skyscrapers? No, no generation in history because God in God's infinite design has placed, sprinkled around all the attributes needed for the world to work. Our job's to listen until we find our purpose in God's world and then take our shoes off and have the courage to say yes. In 1980, here in this city, the beloved theologian Howard Thurman came to give a graduation speech over here at Spelman College. And in that room full of all mix of humanity, future nurses and business leaders and accountants and the whole mix, this was his challenge to them. He said, the sound of the genuine is flowing through you. Don't be deceived and thrown off by all the noises that are a part of even your dreams and your ambitions, that you don't hear the sound of the genuine in you, because that is the only true guide you will ever have. And if you don't have that, you don't have a thing. Cultivate the discipline of listening to the sound of the genuine in yourself.
Moses, of course, had the advantage of knowing, being sure that he'd heard the sound of the genuine, right? I mean, he, he was clear about the call of God on his life. Couldn't have been much clearer than that. How many of us have said, well, if I just had a burning bush? That's pretty clear. And he resisted still. He said, not me. <laughs> Who do you think I am that I ought to be going to Pharaoh? It's a natural response even to a sure and clear calling. Like I said, I'm still amazed that he said yes. So few people do. When we talk of calling, the most familiar quote is the one from Frederick Beekner that most of you have heard. And the reason it's so popular is it's so good. Beekner says, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Moses was caught off guard. He was going about his business, ordinary day. But he'd moved beyond the wilderness. That's how he came to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. Finding your deep gladness, hearing the sound of the genuine, seeing the bush, being called to your purpose might involve going into new and uncomfortable places. I think most of us insist that if we knew it was God's voice, if we were sure, if God showed up in a flame and a voice and knocked us to our knees, if we knew we would do what God had called us to do. I'm not so sure. As I said, Moses said no at first. In fact, I think most of us know more of our deep gladness than we have the courage to affirm. It appears in this story that the difference maker, the difference maker for Moses was God's promise to go with him in this new calling. And I've got to believe it's a standing promise. That when anyone says yes to his or her purpose and places their gifts in service to God and God's creation, I believe that God is always out front making a way. What do you think the world would look like if more people had the, the courage to affirm God's call and claim on their life and say yes. A more important question might be, what's the call of the genuine in your life? Where do you hear whispers of God changing, challenging, creating and what next step would you need to do? 
What next step would you need to take to be as faithful as we found Moses to be in this story? To take off your shoes, say yes to the calling you know is clear, and to be awakened by the sound of the genuine that your life is calling out. Would you consider that as we stand together and sing? Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.